And so we're going to spend some time uh, over these next few weeks to be looking at vital, essential, foundational teachings of the Christian faith. And um, we're going to be doing that over the course of nine weeks and going through a series of Christian doctrines. And we're going to talk a little bit at the end of my talk here tonight about um, some resources we have available for you to do that. But just know uh, whether you knew we were doing this or not and you've just shown up like you always have on Sunday evening, just continue to show up uh, because we're going to continue to talk through just some of these essential teachings and those resources we'll talk about later um, are simply added value that we would love for you um, to take advantage of. Um, so I wonder, just as we talk through this, and, and let me first apologize, normally I would have some visual PowerPoint or something going on. When I went to set up this evening, I brought up my computer, it was all working fine at home, and then when I opened it up, it said, if you want to add your first slide, do so now. And so the whole thing went away somewhere between Serpentin and here. And so um, I don't think it will be that much of a detriment to what we're talking about tonight. Um, because what I would like to do is just simply introduce the idea of speaking and considering doctrine. Some of you may hear the word doctrine and right away you're like, not sure I like that. That doesn't sound very fun. Um, so I wonder what you think of when mention is made of the word doctrine, because doctrine is not a word you tend to use in any like WhatsApp messages or anything, is it? Or your status. It's not a word that we use in everyday conversation. Um, in fact, not only is it not in common use, but I would guess perhaps even in, in the room, that the word itself quite possibly produces a negative response in many people's minds. Um, like take the word imperialism, right? We kind of hinted at that this morning a little bit. And it, images come to mind probably of uh, primarily Western, predominantly white, powerful, and wealthy nations imposing an agenda on smaller uh, nations and indigenous people for their own purpose and benefit. Well, doctrine may kind of fall into the same category for some people, because if I were to say the word indoctrination, right, what would you think? Well, I decided to look it up uh, on an online dictionary, and it said this, the process of teaching a person to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. Okay? And here's the example. Prisoners are subjected to brainwashing, indoctrination, and punishment. Sounds great, doesn't it? Welcome to Foundations. But that's not, that's not how we're going to operate. Um, there can be an association with efforts of totalitarian regimes, right, to dominate their populations by con thought control and, and all that kind of thing. But um, if you're new to church, if you're exploring Christianity, it would be understandable that when you hear we are going to have an emphasis on doctrine, that might cause you to question whether you should come back or put your guard up. And I just want to diffuse that for you. And I want you to know that f the furthest thing from the truth, rest assured, that's not what we're going to be doing here in the evenings uh, with foundations. In fact, we'll be doing just the opposite. Rather than trying to get you to just accept things uncritically, what we really want you to do is to think deeply and to think biblically is where we're going to go. 
So uh, another response, though, so one might be, well, I don't know if I want to do this, but another response that is possible is one that is maybe concerned and put off at the thought of giving time and focus, even if you are positively inclined towards what it is, to doctrine at all. And the reason for that, of people being put off by it, which I'm happy to see the turnout in the room tonight, because I think it demonstrates that maybe you're not put off by it, or maybe you are, and you just want to make sure I'm not going to do something strange up here tonight, I'm not sure. But it's usually shaped by a concern that doctrine deals with abstract theological concepts that only eggheads care about. That only people who go off to seminary and sit around studying biblical languages and what people believed 600 years ago, uh, maybe that's what you think. Some of us are in the room who care about that. But anyway, um, but in this perspective, and maybe it's you, that doctrine has little practical value for day-to-day life and ministry, and in loving people, and in telling people about Jesus. Too much thinking, it is feared, holds the danger of making God a subject that we study and, uh, and analyze, as opposed to inspiring worship, and love, and obedience in relationship with Him. So that's one possibility. But there's also the possibility that there are some here in the room who love the prospect of time devoted to doctrine and to see it as a vital element in the church life, and they want to make sure that we're getting it right. And we're going to measure up. And for some in this lot, the most important concern is maintaining accuracy and purity, which is important, but there's not always a warm, vibrant active faith that's lived out day to day. And if you think about it, it's not that surprising at all that there be so many different responses to doctrine, which are so often associated with our own experiences, our different personalities, our different wirings, and our different interests. Some of us are primarily doers, right? We just do stuff and we want to get on with it. So let's not talk about things too much. Let's just get on with the business of winning people to Jesus and loving one another. Some of us are more relationally inclined. Maybe value or, or a bit more mystical is not, not the right word. That, that's an, an old word that would speak though to the idea of experiencing God's presence and his power. And um, the thought of, of doctrine seems like mm, that, that kind of shuts off the relational connection with God if I'm thinking too much. Or some of us are predominantly thinkers who pursue understanding things and how they work and analyzing things and synthesizing ideas. And so we're all different. We come to the room tonight with that sense of who we are, what we've experienced, what we are keen on, what we're interested in. So considering these differences, isn't it interesting to hear Jesus' expression of the greatest commandment as we find it in Mark's gospel. Again, this would have been on the screen, but I encourage you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Just a short verse, one many of us in the room might be familiar with. If you're not familiar with the teachings of the New Testament in Jesus, someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And this is how he responded. Chapter 12, verse 30 of Mark's gospel. I'll give you just a moment uh, to find it. 
And Jesus, in response to this question, said, in part, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus responds that the greatest commandment is to love God in such a way that it takes all these elements of how we're different, doers, thinkers, relators, all these things, in such a way that it takes all these elements, heart, soul, mind, and strength together as a, as a unity. So what I, where I've been going with all this is this conclusion. I want us to call out at the outset of doing something like this, this false division and competition that can develop between things like this when they are meant to function in a unity. The idea that we'll conclude tonight that's very important is that doctrine doesn't diminish relationship. It should only enhance it. Doctrine should fuel our worship. Doctrine should fuel our love for Jesus. Doctrine should fuel our sense of awe if we're doing it right. If we're doing it in such a way that is honoring to Him. These things should never be an either or. You shouldn't be saying, well, I'm into doctrine, but not so much into service. Or I'm into doctrine, but I'm not so much into worship. It's never an either or. It's a both and. It's like, <laughs> that is essentially like saying, I'm into breathing, but not so much eating. You know, I, I really am into the heart, but the lungs, they, they function as a whole. And if we ignore any of those elements, we're going to be diminished and weakened in our, in our love and devotion to Jesus. So in reality, if we are going to know and love God, and this is where doctrine comes into it, we have to understand Him and conceive of Him as He really is, which requires us to use our minds, to love Him with our minds. And one aspect of us being in the West, here much further ahead than the United States where I come from, being in a post-Christian society, is that we no longer work from a general shared understanding of who God is. And many people need that blank filled in. When we say we need to know God, for many of us, that category has a whole list of criteria that go along with it. For some people, maybe even someone here tonight, walking into the room, that's been filled in by society or their own experiences. And is that an accurate portrayal of who God is? But as was so well stated this morning by Patty, there's a massive difference between knowing about Him in those categories and knowing Him personally in our day-to-day -day experience of life. And again, we don't want to have God just be an object of study, but as someone that we know, love, worship, and serve. So no matter what your initial response or your natural response may be to the idea of spending more time intentionally looking at doctrine, know this, know that doctrine actually should serve to help you know God and love Him more. Doctrine should enhance that. 
If, some, if it's something, i just say this as well at the outset, if it's something that becomes merely theoretical for you, if it's something that you're like, oh, that's interesting, if it just becomes lifeless, then something is most definitely wrong. It's either something wrong in the way either myself or whoever ends up being up here is presenting the content or in our heart response to it. And we'll speak more to that uh, before we finish. So I just wanted to get some of those initial responses to the idea of doing doctrine um, out of the way. But some of you may be asking, what exactly is this thing called doctrine? What is it? What do we mean by that in Christianity? How does doctrine relate to theology? Are we just saying the same thing in two different ways? Are they the same thing? They're, they're really closely related. In fact, people in normal usage tend to use them so interchangeably, there is a bit of that. Um, but in general, theology, what does theology mean? In its most basic definition, it's the study of God. It's to, to think about God, to study about God and His being, who He is, what's He really like, and his activity in creation. It's a combination of two Greek words, theos and logos. Theos, God, logos, word, discourse, teaching. It's one word that can have kind of a nuance of meaning depending on how it's, how it's being used. And if you think about it, <laughs> you think about it, did you catch that? It's not meant to be. You think about it, almost everyone is a theologian of sorts. Almost everyone has some kind of thoughts about God and draw conclusions about God. The key thing is, are we thinking about God as He really is? Are we thinking about God in ways that He actually is active in this world, or are we making assumptions, deductions, are we absorbing things from the culture around us, false concepts about who he is. So, doctrine is slightly different. So if, you know, I know you may not be interested, this is kind of egghead stuff, you know. Um, so, theology comes from two Greek words. Latin, uh, doctrine comes from a Latin word that simply means teaching. That's all it means. So, doctrine is a fancy word for teaching. So, if you notice in the email letter that went out to invite you to this, I intentionally used the word teaching repetitively, repetitively, repetitively because I didn't want to put any of you off to doctrine. If you were thinking, I don't know if I want to do doctrine. Well, doctrine is simply teaching. And it's, in this sense, formalized teaching. I want to give you some, um, some definitions of doctrine that come from two really well-respected theological thinkers. You may not care about who they are, but there's some good basic definitions. One is by a man named Yaroslav Pelikan. Ready? Isn't that great? He wrote a book called The Christian Tradition. But he says basically this. The definition is far more simple than his name sounds, right? What the church believes, teaches, and confesses on the basis of the word of God. That's what doctrine is. Or, as American theologian Wayne Grudem put it, he says, a doctrine is what the whole Bible teaches us today about some particular topic. So maybe think about it this way. Theology speaks to the science, and don't think of science like, you know, beakers and burners and things like that, but of a, of a methodology. You remember learning about the scientific method, right? There is a method of thinking about God 
And we'll talk about that a little bit explicitly. A lot of it will just be absorbed. But in the sense of if you think about if theology is studying about God, doctrines are the conclusions that are drawn out of that process, that process. So as an example, next week we sung about it and it was great because we sung in our, in our songs today some doctrinally rich songs. Holy, 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 God in three persons. We're going to be speaking next week about the Trinity, which is a specific doctrine. It's a specific teaching about God's being and his activity that emerges from an area of theology where God's being, his attributes, and his, act, his activity in the world are studied. For the added bonus, that's called theology proper. When we think about God as who he is, his attributes, and his activity in the world. So that is kind of how the relationship, if you've been wondering, how does theology and doctrine work together? But what's important is that all these things are coming out of, if you notice in the definitions I shared with you, it said on the basis of the Bible, and one said the whole Bible. Now I just brought up the word Trinity. If I were to ask you to find a passage in the Bible that gives us a definition of the Trinity, you would struggle to find it because the word Trinity does not appear in a single verse of the Bible. There are other words, other key teachings that are vital and foundational to your faith as a Christian. Now that teaching, as named, does not occur in terms of being named in the pages of Scripture. However, if you were to look at the whole Bible, and remember last term, what did we say? What's God's big picture, right? We said how important it was to look at the overall trajectory of scripture because there's a story to it there's a purpose to it there's a destination but as we want to develop a picture about God who he is how he works what's his activity in the world think about him correctly we need to take the whole bible and what it says this teaching about God comes into focus the trinity as essential to knowing God well personally so for now, let's just say, I know some of us in the room um, may not have crossed the line of faith. You're curious, but you're unconvinced. You're here because this might be a good way to learn, wow, what, is, what does Christianity actually teach? Um, let us agree, just for now, sake of argument, that God has revealed himself in this book, the Bible. All right, let's just say for the sake of argument that that's, that's true. It's our basis, as I said earlier, for, for doctrine. But our understanding of him in this book is not piecemeal, but comprehensive. So we take all that data about who he is, and we, we, we analyze it, we pull it together, and we come up with a conclusion, a comprehensive one that takes all the information revealed about him into account in the conclusions that we reach. And so to kind of take things a bit further, um, you know, with like the Leo Messi thing this morning, right? Lionel Messi thing this morning. How do you know someone? Think through that. I mean, you could say of some people, we found out this morning that my wife and Lionel Messi share the same birthday. They're practically twins, right? But general information, you know, how old are you? How tall is somebody? Where, you know, all those kinds of things. 
But then, and this has become, you know, an issue for, for me over the course of time here, you know, you think about um, your family of origin, your country of origin, even where in that country did you come from? You can know a lot about someone as you pull these different threads together. What about their occupation? What's their job? What are their hobbies? And all of a sudden, there's a, a different picture that starts coming together. How many have worked with somebody, and then you meet their family, and you're like, wow, I have a completely different understanding of them now. I can remember when Amanda and I were thinking of going into uh, church planting in the States, and we were assessed by a ministry to see, you know, because maybe this isn't a good ministry fit for you. And we did these personality tests. You know, have you ever done those, those Meyer Briggs personality tests and different profiles and such? And you learn your personality and you learn the strengths and weaknesses of personality. And we've been married for at least 10 years at that point, And we turned at each other and pointed at each other and said, aha, that's why you do what you do either positively or it's like all of a sudden we learned how each other really worked from a more composite view and Amanda learned how to motivate me because I'm competitive and she knew if she wants to get me to do something she goes bet you can't do this right bet you can't fix this and guess what those things get fixed because she's learned about who I really am not who she thinks I am, but who I really am. I remember, you meet some, again, you see all these different things. And unless we intentionally seek to understand God in this way, taking all of the information about him into account, we won't know him as well as we could. So if you're here tonight and you're hearing me saying, well, if you haven't studied doctrine, then you really don't know God. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying if you want to go deeper in your understanding of who he is, and appreciate him and love him more. And then in turn, understand yourself more, as you'll, you'll see. Doctrine is essential. Doctrines are simply thinking and communicating about God in ways that are accurate in light of the full scope of the Bible. So those are our two things so far. How do you respond to this whole idea of doctrines? What, what are they? And why does doctrine matter? Now this is... The only time tonight where I'm really, really, really disappointed that I don't have the screen right now. Because I wanted to put up a, a comic strip, a cartoon. Which, by the way, what's the culturally appropriate way to refer to a comic or a cartoon here? What's, do you guys know what I mean? Comic strip? Okay. I, I, I didn't know if like one is whatever. In the States, a comic strip is something like in a newspaper and a cartoon is like animated, so whatever. Um, anybody know The Far Side? Okay, the comic strip The Far Side. There are lots of them that are, that are great, but there are, there's one, it's a picture of a farm, right? There's a fence, and there's all these chickens laying around that are like just formless. They're just splatted all over the place, and there's a sign that says, boneless chicken farm, <laughs> right? And, and you get the idea, it's just, you know, without the, without the, the structure, it's just a, it's just a mess. And it's super important as we think about why doctrine matters. Without doctrine, we kind of have boneless Christianity. It can take a lot of different shapes. And that's not honoring to God, to the revelation he's given us of himself. 
Uh, a quote I'd love to share with you from someone named Al Mohler, who is um, in the States. He's written a book called The Apostles' Creed. And he says this, Some argue for a Christianity that requires no formal doctrines or doctrinal mandates. The history of Christianity, however, is littered with the debris of many such movements, each of which left behind shattered lives of people whose faith dissolved without the structure of doctrine. I used to work with young adults and teenagers in the States many years ago, and I've seen it probably as a common occurrence here as well. We would see our teens and children well associated with the church and with the ministries of the church and get to the university phase in young adults and it's like sometimes their faith just fizzled. And there were studies being done that demonstrated while there was a warm response to the community of faith and all these different things, what was really fundamentally not there were the pieces we're going to talk about in this season of the foundational teachings that you don't just hold, but then end up holding you. They grip you, and you can't escape them. And they shape your life, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in a bit. But doctrine matters because if you've done some of the introduction, for those of you who are doing the foundations course, some of you already signed up, you know that it is the structure, it is the ballast, it is vitally important to godly living, and it's inseparably linked to spiritual health, to spiritual maturity, and godly living. And so what I want to do in the time that we have remaining um, is just go through a survey of some of those New Testament verses that talk about how doctrine is related to those things. And so if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to primarily be in, yeah, we will be pretty much entirely in the pastoral epistles, which are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to pastoral protégés, Titus and Timothy. And it's interesting if you think about it because you think pastoral epistles, you think, okay, how do we care for people? How do we shepherd people towards health in Jesus? And in those epistles, he says, he talks about doctrine all the time. And as we, as we progress through this, this uh, time together in the next few weeks, we'll see that again, is inseparably linked. You cannot understand and know who God is and live for him without the doctrinal undergirding for it. It's the structure of almost every New Testament epistle uh, written, um, written by the writers. And so, first where we'll go is 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. And before I read that, um, there's a, an expression that's going to come up in these verses called sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. And that word sound, I want you to hear it with this um, intended meaning. Because it is, a, it is a medical metaphor. Sound meaning that it is healthy and that which produces health. It is whole. It is life-giving. That's what the term sound means. And again, so if our wiring is to hear sound and hear accurate only, that is 
a partial but insufficient understanding of the word. To be sound, we have to understand it accurately, of course. But soundness is not just in the accuracy, it's in the life that's produced from it. And so in that light, um, Paul spoke to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, and he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so that definition is even implied in that verse if you hear it. It says, watch your doctrine closely because it will save both yourself and your hearers. It has a life-giving dynamic to it. Again, it's not a cold or a lifeless or a dry thing, but doctrine is intended to bring life. Turn over a page to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse uh, 2. Let me get there myself. And this is what he says in the second part of verse 2. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. Now remember, doctrine essentially just means teaching. Okay? These are the things you, should, you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. This, again, we're going to see these next few words speak into the, the danger, <laughs> but also the, the, the real reason why we should be considering doctrine. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels. You don't know how hard it is for an American to say controversies, by the way. And quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. And so in these verses that he's telling to Timothy, he's saying, look, sound doctrine matters. Insist on it. It is what's necessary because there, there is alternative teaching and approaches out there, he goes, that are unhealthy. And not only will you see it in the content of what they're teaching, that is not in alignment with the full scope of what we're going to look at in the Bible, but you'll also see it in the actions and the attitudes that are unhealthy, that are destructive and disunifying to the body of Christ. And so just know as we go through doctrinal considerations, the outcome is always the consideration as you look through the epistles of whether doctrine is, is sound. Because if it's sound based on what the Bible teaches, this is the word of life given by the author of life. If we know him and understand him for who he is, it will be life-giving. Let's continue, just with the time we have left. A couple more verses. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I bring all these up because I want you to see that the Scriptures themselves are vitally interested in the area of doctrine. 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching, sound doctrine, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. See that again associated there, the, the health of sound doctrine. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Um, one of the most important things about doctrine is it keeps us 
firmly grounded in the historical Christian faith and tradition. So much of modern life is about what's novel and about what's new. And what we need so often is that ballast that connects us with who God really is and what does it mean to be a human created in his image. You're not going to find that on TikTok or anywhere else in social media. It's going to be grounded in God's revelation of himself. And so it says guard that as the good deposit. As leaders here at the church, that's our charge, but it's also a shared responsibility of the body of Christ that we guard solid, sound doctrine that honors God for who he really is and how he works in the world and gives life when we bring ourselves in alignment. 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's just turn there. A couple more references before we finish our time up together. 2 Timothy 3, um, verse 16. Again, a a scripture that may be familiar, but we're going to read it through to chapter 4, verse 3. So 2 Timothy 3, 16, where it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. In fact, some older versions, translations of the Bible would say, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for doctrine. For rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So again, notice that it is connecting teaching and doctrine with life transformation and bringing us into alignment with who God really is. So that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, obedience, fruitfulness, service. So he says to Timothy, as we begin chapter 4, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Again, the emphasis on doctrine, the basis of the Word of God, And also, just to give you a little hint about perhaps a warning flag of whether doctrine is healthy and life-giving or not, because notice what it says, doctrine that suits your own desires and never challenges or confronts you about our brokenness and our weakness and our rebelliousness maybe isn't as life-giving as it should be. But he says, what do he say? It's, it rebukes, it corrects, but it also exhorts and encourages. It's both. Just like the both end. It's not an either-or. It's a composite picture based in who God really is. So we talked this morning, he's not just the benign grandfather figure, nor was it the short Scottish ginger, you know, angry guy. Um, it, it's, it's a full picture of, yes, there is a, a firm, holy, just response of God to our sin. But there's also the loving Father Redeemer who is full of grace and mercy. And good doctrine leads us into those things, not just what we want to hear, what we need to hear. 
that gives us life. And then finally, actually finally, think of um, leaders in the church. I'm one of the elders of the church. There are other elders here tonight. Titus chapter 1, verse 9, speaking of, of elders. It says an elder in chapter 1, verse 9, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And again, listen to the functional nature of doctrine. It is meant for, as a leader, and as we entrust others as they are trained up, to be a basis for encouraging. Because that word there is a Greek word that has kind of this multiple nuanced meaning. It's encouraging, it's exhorting. So there can be a positive aspect to it. And there can also be like, come on, buck up. This is who you are. Not just, it's going to be okay. You know, we hear encouragement and it can be that. And sometimes in our fragility, we need to hear that. God's in control. It's going to be okay. Take a breath. And sometimes God coming alongside us means get it in gear. Get your head out of the sand. There's a, there's a, there's a nuanced meaning there that comes in. And what's the basis of all that? He says sound doctrine. Point people to who he really is and who they really are and how God really works in the world. So just finally now, I know I said finally a moment ago, and then I realized there's one more passage I wanted us to go to. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we reference this in the email that went out, the letter that went out about equipping and training here. But this captures an idea that I feel like is so vital to the church of Jesus Christ, so vital to this church, so vital to your own personal walk with Jesus. And it's this idea, this concept of what I would call and others have called doctrinal discernment. <laughs> there are lots of teachers out there. We live in an age where access to teaching is as simple as going to podcasts and YouTube videos and all these different things. And how is one to know what's right? How is one to know whether something is sound doctrine or unsound doctrine, healthy doctrine or unhealthy doctrine. What we're doing is an exercise in that. That's why we've chosen to do this as a church. But in Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 11, it says, So Christ gave himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. There's a doctrinal element. To equip his people for works of service, not just to think great thoughts about God, to equip so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. See all these life-giving wholeness ideas in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Again, older translations would even say there, doctrine. And by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Again, there's that health dynamic. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Teaching. Sound teaching sound doctrine and discernment in being able to do that 
as we grow in capacity of that individually and collectively brings spiritual stability, it brings spiritual maturity, it improves our experience of God individually and corporately because we're coming into a knowledge of who God really is as he revealed himself and what it means to be his people. Sound doctrine is the ballast in the bottom of the boat that keeps it steady in the waves. It's like the foundation of the building that allows the rest of the building to function in a safe and healthy way. Doctrinal soundness, I want you to hear this, if we get it right theologically sound, doctrinally sound, doesn't mean automatically that we'll be doing everything right in our Christian walk. But it provides the basis and the fuel and the impetus to, 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 to bring it all together. It is inseparably linked to spiritual health, spiritual maturity, and godly living. So I just want to finish with this. We'll, we'll finish our talk, and then we'll talk a little bit about next week and what you can expect. So this is a quote from a, a, a teacher in America, Paul Tripp. Some of you may be familiar with him. He wrote a book on doctrine. Uh, but I loved this series of quotes from him. I just want to finish with this. God uses doctrine as a means to turn angry people into peacemakers, greedy people into givers, demanding people into servants, lustful people into pure people, faithless people into believers, proud people into humble people, rebels into obedient people, and idolaters into worshipers of the one true God. This is why doctrine should never be reserved only for the brains of our academic theologians in seminary. These big doctrines have real-life implications. They'll transform. They're meant, uh, they're meant to turn you inside out and turn your world upside down. They'll transform your identity, reshape your relationships, and redirect your finances. Your calendar, your words, your hobbies, and your leisure will all look different. They impart new life and freedom. And then I love this. They're the ecosystem in which the garden of personal transformation grows. So we're going to do some gardening this term. And we're going to develop the ecosystem doctrinally that will help you know God better and grow in your relationship with him. Because that's why we're here as a church, right? Not to be egghead theologians, but to invite all people into an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus for who he really is, not who we think he is, not who we guess he is, but for who he really is. And how do we know him for who he really is? Well, there's some content to that, and there's some experience to that. We have to walk with him daily, but the daily experience is measured by the objective picture, and that's what we're going to develop as we go through this. So next week, we are going to jump into, and this again, whether you are enrolled in this thing called Crosslands that I'll talk about in just a moment, doesn't matter, just turn up. If you turn up next week, we are, going, we are going to be talking about a doctrine of God, about the Trinity. Now, I mentioned this thing, uh, Trinity, you can come and, and hear about that. Our discussions are going to be following this course. Um, Crosslands is a training resource that we're engaging as a church. Um, we're going to go through 
nine different units of doctrines. And one of the things we're going to do um, is after our discussions, which are going to be briefer than tonight's, we're going to end about quarter to seven, what the Crosslands class course will enable us to do is not only to study the topics independently through the week, through resources that they offer, videos, um, interactions, exercises, postings, things like that, to get us digesting these ideas. We're going to talk about it here on Sunday evening as well. And then as we wrap up, if you are enrolled in the Crosslands course, if you just want to figure out, have a sample of what it's like, you can, you can join us even before you sign up. We're probably going to go to another part of the building, though I don't know, because we're at about 40-some-odd people who have signed up, and I hope more of you will sign up for that. Um, right now, the plan is that we'll go to Fraser Chapel, and we'll have a time of discussion where we will sit around tables or do some different exercises each week and just make sure we're kicking around these ideas and really thinking thoroughly together about these particular doctrines that are so important for us to know. And not just to know, but again, let them transform how we understand God and how we live. Um, for, for those of you who are um, already enrolled in that and you're wondering, what do we do for next week? Um, just listen to this. There, there's, there's some units underneath path. If you've looked at it, if you've not logged on, just log in. You'll see this thing that says path. Click on path. There'll be one that says introduction and there'll be one that says Trinity. If you just go through those this week, watch the videos, do the brief exercises, should take no more than an hour and a half to two hours if you spread it out over the week. Can't get to all of it because of life, we get it. But just, just try, and we'll process it together next week. Um, if some of you are saying, well, I really want to do the course, but do I have to go to the discussion group? We really want you to come to the discussion group, but it's not like you didn't come to this discussion group, so you can't be a part of Crosslands. It's, no, we're simply offering that as a way to give added benefit to you. So can you go through it independently if that's the only way that it works for you? Of course you can. But if you have the margin, if you can make the time to go through the discussion, it would be really a healthy and a good thing for you. If you haven't signed up, speak to me afterwards, um, and we'd love to get the information into your into your hands. You may ask, is there a cost to this? It is, ready? 13 pounds 50, which is a bargain for um, the content that it gives you, gives you access to. Um, and if, if you would, just make sure you register through the link that we provide, because that will give you, um, that will put you in our group. So we have a King's Church, Chesington, Crosslands group, and uh, it's going to be a great time together. We're going to be learning as we go, a bit of the functionality of it. I feel like we're building the airplane as it's flying, um, but we will consider doctrine and how important it is to our faith. And we're also going to be worshiping. This is why I want us to continue to have music and times where we reflect and pray a little bit together as part of our evening. So Dave, once you come up, he's going to lead us in a song. I'll just pray uh, quickly to transition us over and, and we'll continue.